0: Well good morning, can I encourage you to take your Bible out, take your phone out, have the scripture in front of you this morning, we're in John chapter 20, we are nearing the end of this series, this series that started in the middle of last year, can you believe that? We have been going through John's Gospel for I think about 15 months and I I personally think it's been fantastic. Just to take our time and look at what John is saying and how he points us to Jesus. So, we're in John chapter 20. We're starting in verse 11 today, and we're going to go through um, nearly to the end of chapter 20. And what I noticed straight away, you might have in your Bible, you might have a few little headings in between some of the scriptures. What I noticed today, there are three distinct scenes, there are three appearances of the risen Jesus. And there are three sentences I want to just bring our attention to. So let's let's go to it. So starting in verse 11 of John chapter 20, I'm just going to read the first scene. So now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognise that it was Jesus. This actually happens a few times with the resurrected Jesus. People don't immediately recognise him. Um, He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, and Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news i have seen the lord and she told them and she told them that he had said these things to her here we go the first witness to the resurrected jesus is a woman that's awesome i think this brings some credence to her because If you were writing this document in first-century Palestine, you would not include a woman as a witness. You just wouldn't. So I love that. And Mary gets to go back to the disciples with the news. He is risen. But to help us see something here, something that I have overlooked in all my years of reading this passage, something that I've never noticed before, to help us just bring some attention to that, I want to take us back into the book of Exodus. So, the book of Exodus. The, Moses has led the Israelites out of Egypt. They've come through the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness. And God is starting to organize them as this new nation. And he's starting to give some instructions on what to do and how to do it. So, I want to read a passage for you from Exodus 25. Uh, it'll be on your screen. This is talking about making what we know as the Ark of the Covenant, which was placed in the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. So we read You shall make a mercy seat or a cover of pure gold, two and a half cubits long and one and a half cubits wide. You shall make two cherubim, that's winged angelic figures, of solid hammered gold at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub at each end, making the cherubim of one piece with the mercy seat at its two ends. The cherubim shall have their wings spread upward, covering the mercy seat with their wings and facing each other. The faces of the cherubim are to be looking downward toward the mercy seat. You shall put the mercy seat on top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony which I will give you, which is the tablets of the Ten Commandments. Um, There I will meet with you from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim which are On the Ark of the Testimony, I will speak intimately with you regarding every commandment that I will give you for the Israelites. A few years ago, I had the privilege of journeying to Israel as part of some study I was doing, and we did this tour through Israel. And right down at the bottom peak of Israel is a little place called Timnah, it's in the Negev desert, and they had a life size replica of the tabernacle. the tabernacle that we're talking about here. So you can see the first photo, this is just a picture of it, it's it's a tent, so this is the same dimensions that is recorded in the Bible. And so this tent, this tabernacle, this place where God would meet with His people was the centre of the camp for Israel when they were in the desert. So all the tribes would camp around this tabernacle. And so the next photo shows that As you go into it, you get to, so I haven't shown all of it, but you've gone past the high priest and the the lampstand and the table with the bread offering, you've gone past all of that and you get to the curtain, which takes you into the Holy of Holies, the place where the Ark of the Covenant actually sits. And I remember getting to that curtain and you can see, you can just see between those two red things, you can see a person who's in there. Um, wearing a pink shirt, I think. Um, I remember getting to that point, getting up to this curtain, thinking, yeah, you just should not go in there. I am unworthy. Um, but I saw someone in there, so I thought, oh, okay. So in we go, and the next thing you see is the Ark of the Covenant. And in the Ark of the Covenant, you can see on the next photo, is the, is the tablets with the Ten Commandments and the, the staff, Aaron's staff which um, there's a story where Aaron throws his staff down and and this dead piece of wood starts budding and coming to life and starts flowering. So these things were in the the ark. But on the top, on the top is what they call the mercy seat. And so on the photo here we've got the the gold covered lid with the two angels on each side, sure yep. Two angels on each side with their wings coming over the top and touching. And so this this is a picture of the lid. It's just slid forward slightly so you could see what was inside. Um, And this is the thing that we just read about, that it's on the mercy seat, the seat of atonement, where the high priest once a year would come into this place and sprinkle the blood offering onto the mercy seat. And that's where God would appear. That's where God would meet with the high priest and forgive the nation their sins for that, for that calendar year. Did you pick up the reference that John was saying? That when Mary looked into the tomb, on that slab where the body of Jesus was lying, there was an angel on either end. I think it's just another little clue that John's giving us that Jesus is God. Where Jesus was lying is a picture of what this was pointing to. The angels on either end with God, and that's where God would meet you. It's an interesting picture. See, the Ark of the Covenant was a religious symbol where the people could meet with God. He hovered over the Ark when the priests were present. If the priests were absent, it was the law, it was the tablets, it was the commandments that represented God's presence. On this mercy seat, this atonement cover, it was made with pure gold, had the angels on either side as I said and those angels facing one another and facing down onto the seat where God's presence was, was was this image of just the angels' willingness to do God's will, to obey His commands. The mercy seat was where God would dwell and we read in that passage God says I will meet with you from that mercy seat between the two cherubim I will speak with you regarding every commandment and we just get this image image of Jesus fulfilling that role so that's the first encounter Jesus meeting with Mary then the next encounter we read starts in verse 19 of John's 20th chapter. Let's go to that. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he says. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And again, Jesus said... Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. So when Jesus breathed on his disciples, they each received the Holy Spirit. In keeping with John's intent to write this new Genesis story, Remember, we've been highlighting that as we've been going through. It feels like John's writing a new Genesis story. We can see that the act of Jesus breathing on his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit was an act of recreation. Let me remind you of what we're talking about. Right back in Genesis chapter 2, we read this. In the creation story, Then the Lord God formed, that is, created the body of man from the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being, an individual complete in body and spirit. John is like highlighting this. This is the recreation of humanity. This is the recreation of a new kind of humanity, one that has a new story. This is what John's been leading us in all the way through his gospel. In the act of breathing, Jesus imparts the Holy Spirit into the lives of his disciples. It's actually a foretaste of what's going to happen in a few days' time at Pentecost, where we read about that in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit really descends and starts doing something miraculous there. So what we see at Pentecost, and this, this is the precursor to it, is the dawning of a new era, a new age, a new way to be human in relationship with God. And isn't this the basis of a lot of what Paul writes about in his letters to these churches, reminding them that you are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, there's a new way to be with God. Keep your mind on the things above, not on the things down here. There's so much that just correlates into this stream that we're now heading into. It's recreation, symbolised by the breath of God, the Holy Spirit. And in this statement... Not only does he breathe on them, but he gives them the command to go. Go and do the things that I've been doing. It was this sending, it was the sending of the disciples into the world, by the Father, through the Son, empowered by the Spirit. This is John's version of the great commandment. The great commandment that we read in Matthew. Let me remind you of that, you'll be familiar with this. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. It's on the screen. Jesus came up and said to them, All authority, all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Help the people to learn of me, believe in me and obey my words. That's what it means to make disciples. Baptising them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I am always I'm with you always, remaining with you perpetually regardless of circumstance and on every occasion even to the end of the age. This is John's version of that. And then our third scene where Jesus appears to Thomas from verse 24 in chapter 20 of John, we read this. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means the twin, he was a twin, One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Third time he said that. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I don't know about you, but you can look at Thomas here and you go, <laughs> you know, we've even got that phrase in our vernacular, isn't it? you know, doubting Thomas. And we have this sense that Thomas was a bit of a wishy-washy sort of disciple. But I don't think he was. We don't hear much about Thomas in the Scriptures, but we did hear... Remember back in John chapter 11 when Lazarus died and Jesus and his disciples were at this village and they get news that Lazarus had died and Jesus stayed where he was for two more days. And then he says to his disciples, well, let's go back down to Judea and we'll we'll check out what's happening with Lazarus. This is me paraphrasing. And um, let's check out what's happening with Lazarus. And the the disciples are basically saying, don't go. Like last time you were in Judea, they were trying to kill you. If you go down there, it's not going to end well. Let's not go. And Jesus goes, no, no, we'll go. We'll head down there. And Thomas is the one who speaks up. You can see it on the screen. John chapter 11. So he told them plainly, this is Jesus saying, Lazarus is dead and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. Then Thomas said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. If he at this point is saying, you know what, Jesus, I'm, I'm on team Jesus, I'm with you, I'm for you, whatever you're doing, I'm part of it. If going back to Judea means, Jesus, you're going to get you know, arrested and killed, I'm in it with you, I'm committed. To me, that, that's the picture I get of Thomas here. So when we get to the scene in chapter 20, I, I don't think it's as easy just to write him off going, oh, he's this wishy-washy character who wasn't really that committed. So you need to ask, well, what is going on? Why has he responded like this? The scripture does not give us the answer to that. And I would be reluctant to impose on it what I think. But just think about it. Why would Thomas be reacting this way? He wasn't with the disciples when Jesus first appeared to them. So, we just heard from Karen the, the value in meeting together as the body so we can encourage one another. He missed out on that the first time, Thomas. And then they tell him about it. It's real. Jesus is alive. We've seen him. We've touched him. We've talked to him. I don't know. All I can think is, is there's this, this, this protective... He's just trying to protect himself from... Don't want to be disappointed again. And he comes out with these statements. If I could just touch the nail marks, if I could see them, if I could put my hand in that wound that's in his side that, that you told us about, then I'd believe. And Jesus turns up a week later without how would how would Thomas how would how would Jesus have known any of that? And Jesus turns to Thomas and says those three things. The three conditions that Thomas gave about, I need to do one, two and three before I'm going to believe, Jesus just offered those three things to him. How would he have known? And it doesn't say Thomas even touched him, it doesn't say he did anything, his response was, my Lord and my God. First time we see Jesus acknowledged as God in this Gospel. And that's from Thomas. Now, let's not take that lightly. For a Jewish man who all his life has been absolutely solid that there is one God, he would have, he would have quoted the Shema every day of his life, this passage out of Deuteronomy. For him to declare that Jesus is God, that is profound. But it's his only response. What can he do? Thomas's belief depended on sight. And Jesus acknowledges him for that. And then Jesus, I love this statement, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That's you and I. as we go through this the the three three encounters with mary i just love that sentence that she looks in and sees the angels on either side as this picture of jesus is the fulfillment of everything that was in the old testament he is god and then jesus appears to his disciples And he says, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And he breathes on them, receive the Holy Spirit. Go, go and take this message. And then he appears to the disciples again with Thomas. And I don't, I tried to sit there this week and just imagine, how would Jesus have said these words to Thomas? Stop doubting and believe. How would he have said them? Were they judgmental? Were they harsh? Was he frustrated with Thomas? Was it compassionate? Was it loving? Was it kind? How would he have said those words? And Thomas's response, "My Lord and my God." And then Jesus says, "You are blessed because you believe. But how blessed are those who have not seen and still believed." That's us. So, as we come to this part in the story, it feels like John's Gospel should finish at the end of chapter 20. It feels like it should and it's finished with this story, this story of Thomas declaring Jesus is God. That's where John's been leading us the whole time. And Jesus declaring that you will be blessed when you believe. That's what John John's been, the whole thing's about that. But then there's chapter 21, and it feels, feels like an addition, probably because it is. And we'll tackle that over the next few weeks. But this, this is where it feels like it's just been leading up to. The declaration that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, God in the flesh that's what we are called to believe and when we believe that it changes the trajectory of our lives because when you truly believe something it's not just head knowledge it's not just mental assent to some ideas it changes your very being and that's what we're called to that's the beauty of this gospel let me pray for us so our father i thank you for i thank you for this picture in scripture Jesus, just how you bring all things together. You are the fulfillment of the scriptures, the the Old Testament. You are the fulfillment of the nation of Israel. You are the, the new Adam, the new creation, the first born from the dead. You have defeated sin and death and its power. You have imparted life to us. You invite us to abide in you. Jesus, I just ask that we would have the sense, the courage, the willingness to say yes. To say yes to you and all that you offer, all that you desire for us. It's far beyond anything we could desire for ourselves. And so I just pray that together as your church, as your children, as your family, we would be a people who can declare my Lord and my God. Would you be with us as we go on that journey? Amen. Amen. I'm going to invite Meredith up. Meredith is one of our elders and she's just going to wrap this up for us and bring a message from the elders. Yeah? Something Or like a that. song and dance. You're going to do... Oh, I, I, I don't think so. No, no, okay. no, right. no not today.